Welcome to Success Saudi, a podcast featuring leaders and entrepreneurs in KSA. Our aim is to provide you with local tips and wisdom to help you on your own journey to success. My name is Maria Kometi, and I'm here today with Iman Shakur. Iman is an entrepreneur, a venture capitalist, an angel investor, and an advisor. She founded Blossom Accelerator, Saudi Arabia's first tech inclusion accelerator in 2017. She's a venture partner at Oryx Fund Hambro Perks. She serves on the investment committee of OCAL, Saudi Arabia's largest angel investment network. And she's a TEDx speaker and has been featured on the cover of Harper's Bazaar and Entrepreneur Middle East. Special thanks to the Marriott Hotel in Riyadh's Diplomatic Quarter for hosting us today. And thank you also to Saudi Gift Gallery, providing locally made culture gifts for businesses and events. You can find them on Instagram at Saudi Gift Gallery. Thank you, Aman, for being with us today. Can we start off by talking about where you grew up and what you were like as a kid? First of all, thank you so very much for having me today. It is an absolute pleasure. I'm a huge fan of this podcast and I've been following it for a while. So when you asked me to come on, it was truly, truly a pleasure. Um, I'm even like a tad bit on the end of being sick, but it's so worth being here. So really thank appreciate you. it. Um, so I grew up in Jeddah, um, which is the Western part of Saudi Arabia. And I grew up snorkeling and diving and kayaking and just exploring the beautiful Red Sea. If anyone hasn't done that, whether they're from Riyadh or they're from outside of Saudi, highly, highly recommend it. Uh, as a kid or as a child, honestly, I wasn't that much different than I am today. I was talkative. I was hyper. I always had a personality that was larger than life. Um, I've always been a manifester. So as a kid, I remember I used to, this is gonna sound really funny, but I used to like look at the mirror and like pretend I'm interviewing. And I used to pretend that I'm interviewing with someone. I mean, back in the day, it was like Oprah. That was, that was who I was, it was interviewing mm -hmm. me. And I would just be answering questions and introducing myself. And like my mom would come by my room. I'd be like, oh yeah, Iman's just, you know, in an interview. So how old were you? Probably six. Where did this come from? I mean, was it from seeing <laughs> Oprah on TV? Um, it's, it's very interesting. I, I always felt like there was something big I was going to do in life. And I had no idea what that was. There was no pressure on me that I had to do it or in a certain form or capacity. But it was just an intrinsic belief that I always had. Um, and um, for some reason, that's where I saw myself like as a very little girl, I just used to tell my parents, and you know, you see children today tell their parents these things, like, Wendy, when, I'm, when, I'm, when I grow up, I'm gonna be this, this, this. And it's almost like uh, children sometimes intuitively know. And I don't know, if on, on some level, I didn't know the how or the when, or you know, mm -hmm. it was gonna come about, but um, I knew. And so I even remember back then, my interview questions were just like, so yeah, like, yeah, I would like pretend, they were asking me like, what hobbies do you like to do? And you know, why do you like to play with, with dolls? And what do you think of dolls? And I, it forced me to also somewhat have an opinion on everything from a very early age. So not much has changed over the years. And I've just been able to have a why, a more clear one as I got older. And um, yeah, I guess that today when I see kids and how they are, I'm just like, oh, they're perfect. 
they already know. And so, I mean, to anyone, I'm not a mom yet, um, not married yet, but to anyone I know, you are uh, an amazing mom. I always encourage, yeah, let the kid just, like, they, they seem to know things a lot of the times better than we do. So how was the, your family life? I mean, did you guys all spend a lot of time outdoors? Good question. For sure. So um, nearly every weekend, if not, you know, twice a week, we would go to the beach. And so our go-to thing was circling. Circling, kayaking, just swimming all day long. Together as a family. Just, yeah, like fun in the sun, like building sand castles and having barbecues. But, you know, definitely it was a lot of beach activity. So I kind of just, you know, grew up. That's And even until today, if I'm ever stressed I go and I have a really good beach day and I go swimming, it's my reset. And I don't know, I just love the sun. I know too much exposure to it is not great, but it does wonders for my soul and my energy and just like refilling my own cup. So that was a lot of memories I have. And we'd go to, you know, restaurants on Fridays. We have a... Um, ever since I was a kid, uh, lunch at my grandma's house on every Friday. And my uncles are there, and my cousins are there, and my grandma's there. And we kind of just all come together and, you know, have a good so time. So it sounds like a lot of quality family time. Very much so. And what did you see your parents into? I mean, I, I'm assuming they were like role models for you. Absolutely. I mean, so I have to say, I'm extremely lucky. Um, my parents are the best parents in the world. I have, I, I have, there's nothing I can ever say that's genuinely negative. I don't even know how they did it. Like I, I, I think to myself, you know, one day I'm a parent, how am I gonna do it? How am I gonna? So my dad um, is a businessman. And so okay. all my life I saw him have multiple businesses and I didn't fully understand what he was doing because you know, when you're a businessman, you're working a lot, and he's doing a lot of different things. So he dabbled in a lot of different industries. So it was hard for me to understand, like it was your typical nine to five. My mom started different businesses, but primarily was a teacher for oh. 20 plus years in wow. all girls Arabic school teaching English to elementary students. Um, but my parents always made quality time to hang out with my brother and I. So, um, and we felt part of their businesses and part of their projects. and. You know, my dad would bring me in super early. Like, I remember the first business meeting I attended, I was six. And I just was there, like, and, like, these were all super senior people. And I remember, like, some of my dad's business partners, um, we used to tell my dad, don't you think you take your daughter to stuff? Like, too much. Like, you know, we get it. <laughs> really? Like, yeah. We get it. And my dad used to say, no, she's going to be a business leader, and this is... This is what it is. Like this is what it is. I come with this package of my daughters coming to these business meetings, um, and I just thought they were fun and interesting. And you know, and then with time, as I got older, and I was like 15, 14, during the business meetings that I would just listen into and kind of just like be in the back, my dad would be like, well, "What do you think, Iman?" And I'd be like, "Me? Well, I guess." Da -da -da -da. And I would feel comfortable to say something because as much as I'm just with my dad. And if he trusts me and then I have something to say, then I'll say it. Now, looking back, I think everyone else was like, oh, my dad's name is Adid. So they'd be like, oh, Adid, just, he just loves his daughter so much. But he really, in so many ways, was priming me yep. for what was to come. And I just thought it was fun. And my mom is also very, very, very emotionally supportive. 
my mom really helps with the mentality of nothing. There is nothing that's hard or really difficult to reach. You can cultivate it. Mm -hmm. And if you keep going, you will bring it into existence. And she very much cultivates also the spirit of you are worthy, you are deserving, you are the most worthy, you are the most deserving. So I honestly grew up in that environment. And so that's why I call my mom like my momager, basically, my dad, my dadager in many capacities. And in today in the startup ecosystem, in many of the conferences like STEP and LEAP and FII, many people like my dad will get invited on the merit of his own company, and I'm invited on the merit of my own company, but many people in the ecosystem have probably met my dad because he's very often, and he's not retired, he's still at it. How and interesting. He'll, he'll, you know, and we'll kind of be like a duo. So from being exposed to that business environment from a young age, I'm sure you just became really comfortable and that became second nature to you. Yeah, I mean, somewhat. I mean, obviously, like, actually executing uh, you know, getting a contract. Being the one in charge. Being the one in charge. And I own 100% of my, of my company and my industry is very different than that of which my, my dad's companies are in. So there were still things, many things that I was like, I don't know, how do I do this? Very yeah. So for the first time. And um, I also started very early. I started uh, this very company, Blossom, when I was 23. And so with that comes like, you know, I'm in a room with everyone 40 and above. Yeah. And it, and it feels a little daunting. It does feel a little, but if it weren't for all the ways that they enriched me, I don't think I was ever going to be able to do it at 23. Like you have to be a little crazy and like overly confident to actually at 23 step sure. into, you know, and, and be like, oh yeah, that's fine. But it wasn't always like I was so comfortable. It was sometimes lying to myself like I actually inside feel like oh my god what am I doing here and like how am I doing this and people must think that I'm so much younger than my age and da 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 um, but then I would just kind of fake it till you make it and just exude the confidence even if I didn't always feel it so it wasn't like easy but they primed me to be prepared mentally mm -hmm. yeah that's what I'll say for sure so who are you today, personally and professionally? Interesting. Um, personally, I'm, I love life. I'm a person that's very full of life. I'm a very optimistic person, very positive. 100% in all situations in life, a glass half full kind of girl. Um, naturally? Just naturally. I just have, like, I feel like I just think I have extra serotonin. I don't know, floating around <laughs> in my brain. Um, I, even amongst my friends, I'm just the one that's always funny and outgoing. I have a lot of energy. So even if I work 14-hour days throughout the whole week, Thursday night, I'm like, come on, girls, what are we going to do? Where are wow. we going to go? You know, everyone come over to my house. And then Friday, I have energy. And then Saturday, I have energy. So that's just intrinsically how I am, very outgoing. And I, and I feel rejuvenated by people's energy. So if, like after this podcast, I'll be flying. So it's the same thing after I speak on stage or after I finish a proposal or I don't know. So that, and that's been the same since I was a kid. So personally, that's, that's who I am. And um, I, I love to find time to travel, to experience new cultures and new countries and, um, and the very, very early stages of attempting to learn Spanish. Oh, yeah. So that's that's like my side hobby. 
Um, and um, I love all kinds of creative stuff. I'm really into stand-up comedy. And I try to write some of my own. I, don't, I'm, I have no intention of performing publicly anytime soon, but this is from my very close circle. And it's just a wave of a creative outlet for yeah. me to get out of, you know, whatever. Anything awkward that happened that week or uncomfortable, you know, it's really, it's for me, more exhilarating to wrap it up in a joke so we can all kind of laugh about it. And are you able, I mean, being the driven entrepreneur that you are, are you able to like kind of switch and turn it off and give your 100% focus to these other things like the comedy and the travel? I wish. So definitely <laughs> not. No, definitely, definitely not. But I try my very best to not lose sight of my hobbies and the things that made me happy as a child way before I started a business or had a career, started working, you know, like when you formally start working, yep. you know, and start building towards your career because I don't want to feel like part of my soul is, is lost or is just only in this rhythm of the day to day for my creativity, for my well-being. Yeah. I find it very important for myself to continue snorkeling and continue painting and continue, you know, doing all the things that make me happy that have nothing to do with work. Mm -hmm. And they actually help me in my work because, again, it makes me more creative, um, be a better leader, be more balanced, have more empathy, have more capacity for others if I have capacity for, first and foremost, myself. Yeah. So that's how I look at it. Now, do I have enough time for it completely? No but I work on it and when I feel like I'm really getting off balance, I try to reset. It's a work in progress for you. I mean, definitely <laughs> not, not, not a hundred percent. Maybe next time you'll interview me, I'll be like, I've found the way, but no, it's, it's a work in progress. Yeah, but you know it's important and you make time yeah. for it when you- As when much you as can. I can, yeah. yeah, for sure. So tell us about Blossom, who does it serve? How do you help them? Awesome. So Blossom is firstly known as the region's first and leading tech inclusion accelerator and ecosystem builder. Uh, essentially, what my company does is we organize all kinds of entrepreneurship and innovation programs. What does that even mean? That means all kinds of programs that serve entrepreneurs. That can be accelerators. And we're first known for accelerators, given the name Blossom Accelerator but we've expanded to do many, many more programs, corporate innovation programs, hackathons, incubators, running co-working spaces. We currently operate one of the uh, larger co-working spaces across the kingdom, which is in Tabuk, which is one of the co-working spaces that is part of Mion, um, uh, consolidating angel networks. And so all these different programs that I'm speaking of, uh, essentially the end beneficiaries are the startups, the entrepreneurs. And we've served anywhere from ideation, pre-seed, all the way to Series A and Series B entrepreneurs. And so they're recipients of many of these programs that we operate on behalf of corporates or government entities as well. Okay. And where are they, um, your customers, or wh where are they coming from? I mean, are they from universities? Are, are some of them from overseas? Uh, who are they? Excellent question. So in the capacity of we as Blossom, when we operate these programs, accelerators, uh, and so forth, we work a lot with government entities, Saudi government entities, and even international entities. Like we're currently right now running a program for the University of Texas Austin, and it's an ongoing um, 
women a mentorship and networking program to uplift more women to go into tech and start companies that are venture capital backed. And so that's a client of ours and they're all the way in Texas. And funny enough, I've never been to Texas. I hope to go. Um, so our, our clients and sometimes they're corporates. So we've served Google, we've, sold, we've served Oracle, we've served a ton of Saudi government entities, ministries, um, and so forth. So those are our clients, but also our end user, if you may, yeah. are the startups. And us really ascertaining that the quality of programs are not only top tier, but are also extremely fit for the needs of the Saudi market. And um, should have very exciting news, but this year we're also more formally expanding. We've already served these countries, but we're more formally expanding, meaning setting up offices this year in Oman, Kuwait, and Bahrain. So that's around the corner. Wow, so, congratulations. Thank you. This is your first move internationally? I mean, so, to actually set up programs internationally? So we've done programs before. We've actually served nine different countries. Oh, we, yes. So we've amazing. We've programs in other countries, but this is us more formally, you know, having people all around constantly. Whereas before we would run a program you know, okay. for a few months, you know, con conduct an accelerator or a hackathon, and then so our mothership is still out of Riyadh. And our mothership will maintain to be out of Riyadh, but now we're gonna more formally ongoing year round have programs in these new, in these new countries. So super exciting. That means this year will be um, full of plenty of travel, but I, I do love the traveling. And I think I manifested that as a kid. So I used to see my dad also always traveling. And I used to tell my mom, when I grow up, I want to travel all the time. And now I do. And now sometimes I'm like, I just want to stay home and go grocery shopping. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it is exciting. It's, it's, and it's all about balance, which I'm trying to learn to navigate. And we have a whole, we'll have a whole different discussion. You can ask me what, any kind of wellness question too. And because I'm exploring that too, to maintain my sanity in all of this. With these international partnerships, can you tell me like, how they come about i mean are you is it through your networks and the programs that you run that um you know these other entities find you or do you have like people on your team doing outreach excellent question i think at the core it's a combination of excellent work credibility and really good word of mouth okay so rather than your typical you know, let's do sales. Yes. Hire all these BD people right. and comms people. I think at the core of it, it's start. Don't wait. You know, like, for example, one of our, for many years, our first Blossom programs, hackathons, accelerators, were all front-facing Blossom brand, as the brand of Blossom, yep. um, to build up people's trust in us, for these entities to get to know the work that we do, for them to see the outcomes, for them to meet the entrepreneurs, the Blossom alumni companies that have come out, which sectors we served, what stage of the companies. And then, um, and that was a lot of hard work to build up that reputation. Yep. Um, so a lot of times when you're working with government, you're working, not a lot of times, all of the times you're working with government, you're up against not only the best of the best, but also a lot of international entities that have that track record because they've been, you know, within the market longer. So it takes a lot of um, effort and, you know, good word of mouth and credibility and people who continuously 
again and again, it's longer than your typical sales cycle. It, there's yeah. no real, okay, the magic formula is six months later or nine months later or one year later. I really believe this is an ongoing process of years of um, an effect in the ecosystem where you go to a dinner and this person's name is mentioned and someone else is like, oh, I know this person. Or I worked with them on that project. Oh, really? I used to work at that entity. Now I work at this entity. Oh, that startup that they served is mm -hmm. actually, you know, my cousin's daughter. It's this butterfly effect that takes a lot of time for it to come into place. Um, and so for anyone listening, that can sound like a lot of work and it is. But the other side of it is so beautiful and is so promising because today with a lot of the work that we do and for a lot of our government clients I can't mention all their names specifically because they're confidential but the beautiful thing about implementing programs for Saudi's government is being part of creation of you know putting into effect with these government entities working with them the 2030 vision and seeing before our eyes not only implementing programs towards privatization and the creation of new jobs and really, you know, creating an ecosystem for entrepreneurs and, and the startups. And, you know, we always need more deal flow. Venture capitalists and investors always need, you know, more startup deal flow coming out of these programs. So it's, that's the best part about working with the entities that we do. So do you even have sales or business development people on your team? Definitely we do. Oh, you do? We do. Okay, because you still have people serve, handling yeah. this. Because we also serve a lot of corporates. And okay. those follow the more typical, you know, sales cycles. Right. A lot of Q1, a lot of Q4, um, and um, definitely, yes. You're also a venture capitalist. So tell us about the work you're doing with uh, Oryx, Hambro Perks. Absolutely. So, um, so I'm a venture partner at Oryx. Oryx Fund um, is one of the premier um, early stage MENA funds. And I would say nearly half of our investments are Saudi companies. We invest very early stage. Um, pre-seed and seed are our sweet spots, but we do deals and execute them all the way from pre-seed to pre-series A. Um, Oryx is one of the funds under Hambro Perks. And Hambro okay. Perks in and it itself is an international investment firm out of London, the UK, that houses many funds, um, three out of MENA, and Oryx is one of them, the one that I'm a venture partner um, on. And essentially, we invest primarily in four sectors, edtech, fintech, health tech, logistics, and then we also look at a lot of companies that are anywhere in the enterprise B2B SaaS play. We find those companies interesting but primarily the, the four sectors that I mentioned. You mentioned um, being putting yourself around an angel uh, network. You're an angel investor yourself. Uh, so can you tell us about that? What is an angel investor and what kind of work do you do? Okay, awesome. So I started angel investing about a year and a half ago. Angel investing is essentially we're the people, every individual can coin themselves an angel investor if they actively invest in early stage companies uh, across the year. So I personally invest around five companies per year. And what that means is when a company is fundraising, it's harder for them to raise from a venture capital firm. Okay. Because what a venture capital firm is, is we're managing this money and, and investing on behalf of 
are limited partners. So money injected into the firm and we're investing professionally on their behalf. As an angel, it's your own money. So mm -hmm. it's up to you if you want to invest in company A or B. And typically those are really interesting to startups because a startup, if let's say you're an angel investor and I come to you with a really great idea I have, it's your own money. So it's up to you to say, you know what, Iman, I'll invest. I'm going to ask you all these set of questions. It's your own process of due yeah. diligence, of looking at it and analyzing it and deciding if that's the best company for you or not. That's very attractive to startups because it's a quick way for them to fundraise before they run out of cash. Whereas with a VC firm, because you're professionally investing on behalf of the limited partners and you know essentially what they've put in and then invested into the fund, it's the, the processes are just yeah way longer, more different, more structured. It's going to take a long, lot more time for a startup to raise from a VC. So angels usually are the earliest to invest because it's quicker. It's easy. It's you know. It's not like you have one meeting and it's like yes or no. Yeah. You're talking to the person in charge, to the person who's gonna say, right. okay, I can, yeah, I'll I'll take this amount of money on my bank account and invest it into you. Um, so that's what an angel. And we're called angels because uh, the coin was obviously just out of Silicon Valley. Angels being where the people that save that company early on or really help them grow, where they're angel for them to really be able to have enough money to even go to the market to then contact the VCs as well and have them also fund you. But they need some of that initial money and that's what angels play. And would a company generally like work with one angel investor or is there oh, more no. than one? Okay. Need a lot. So typically if you start a company, let's say you're raising around. Raising around means however much you're raising right now. So I'm gonna just say let's say a company X is raising a million dollars. First of all, raising this million dollars, even if it's 500,000, raising that amount, it's gonna take time. Yeah. It's gonna take time, it's gonna take a lot of different people, a lot of different entities coming together to help you what, close that round. Typically these rounds can be open for, depending on you know market conditions, anywhere between six months to a year. You're just wow. fundraising, like the whole year, that's all you're doing, you're fundraising. Oh, Maria, did you see my pitch deck? Oh, let's have a follow-up meeting. Oh, you need more information, you're sending more information. Oh. Or, you know, you're in due diligence with this investor. And so essentially what entrepreneurs, really good entrepreneurs do is they talk to everyone early days. Mm -hmm. They talk to all the VCs. They hit up every angel investor they can think of. And to get to closing that entirety of that amount, because you'll get so many no's. Yeah. You get so many no's. It's mostly no's. It's like yeah. being an actress in Hollywood. Before yeah. you eventually get the, you know, the one yes and then that one good yes from a reputable name, reputable angels, reputable VC will help pull in the other um, yeses as well. Mm. But so yeah, you'll need, you know, and it really depends on, on, on the founders, but it can go up to, you know, we've seen 30 angels. But what, what will happen is sometimes, you know, if these angels are part of a group, yeah, like I serve on the opportunity or investment committee of Aqad, what will happen is if we're both part of this angel group, and so if you're investing 10,000 and I'm investing 10,000, Instead of that company saying, Marie is a shareholder, Iman is a shareholder, Muhammad is a shareholder, mm. we all are under one, essentially, you know, name or entity, as an entity name, investing into this company. So it's okay. not so messy for them that they end up having like a million owners into the business very early on, if that makes sense. And then what's your role as an angel investor? Uh -huh the best world in the world. Really? I get to talk. Yeah, I love it. I mean, it's very, so I also advise a lot of companies in exchange for 
um, equity into the company and that's synonymous okay that's synonymous also with a lot of the work I do as an angel investor so if I invest it goes without saying let's have calls whenever you want text me we brainstorm around strategy this didn't work let's try this Iman can you do an introduction so you if know? you're financially investing in a, to a company they kind of have free yeah basically. range uh, or access to I you mean, when yeah. they need it that's that's <clears> the, like, <throat> that's like with pleasure too okay so i add with pleasure okay um, it kind of just comes as part of the package because with these early stage companies the most valuable thing i can give them is not the money you know the most yeah. valuable thing i can give them is my network my resources me being an open a, a door opener uh, me being a good listener me being empathetic to their journey that's what's going to really help them get yeah. customers and stay in it for the long haul and for them to really feel supported because sometimes you get the money and you're like, am I doing it right? Am I spending it right? Am I doing this right? And we forget. Always. Yeah. <laughs> entrepreneurs are learning too. You know, they're learning and they need people. I always tell entrepreneurs, really be careful who invests in you and who is on your cap table, who's, you know, with you yeah. in your company. You want people that you can trust. You want someone who you feel comfortable having lunch with, having coffee yeah. with, you can be yourself with. It's so much easier than to say, oh my God, I'm in a really difficult position with X, Y, Z and what's happening. I'm having a small dispute with one of my co-founders. Yeah. I'm not sure how to resolve it. And so angels and advisors play the role of, well, listen, this is my sage advice. This is what I think should happen. But doing so empathetically. Mm-hmm. And if you could give them money too, I mean, invest as well. That also obviously helps. How do you help aspiring entrepreneurs go from idea to action and overcome that fear of failure that you just see in so many aspiring entrepreneurs? Oof. I don't know if there's one particular way, but the best way to overcome fear is to just look straight at it and walk right through it. Meaning if you're afraid to write that book, write it. If you're afraid to start that company, start it in the how. Uh, I think offering a really good support system. So for example, one of the initiatives that we run for Blossom that's completely for free, nonprofit completely, is we have an arm called Blossom CSR, mm -hmm. Blossom Corporate Social Responsibility. This arm hosts multiple events and programs on a monthly basis, sometimes more than once a month. And all these events and programs are aimed to really help early stage entrepreneurs in particular, uplift them, empower them, help them start scale, whether that means access to resources, access to networks, um, case studies of entrepreneurs within the market that are actually doing it. And then anytime you know these events are happening or these programs are happening, I'm around for any Q&A, for wow. any mentorship that they need thereafter. So these are all ways in which we wanna give back to help people really not be afraid and also I will say a lot of people come and they say this is my idea this is my come this is what I want to start with yeah. the idea I can't tell you let me tell you why I can't tell you and I think most people can't tell you hey this is a good idea this is a bad idea the best way is for the entrepreneur to really analyze the problem is it really a problem yeah is it something that you suffer from your friends suffer from the community suffers from it's if it's a problem then it's going to pay a dividend if it's a problem and you yeah. come up with a solution and there's a need for it within market, even if it's a niche, you know, because not everything is going to be as big as Hunger Station and, and Kareem and so forth. But if you're solving for a problem, then I think you're on a really good start, regardless of sector, 
uh, stage, etc. Yeah. And then two, if the entrepreneur themselves is really passionate about the solution. Yeah. So often, maybe the market size isn't so big, right? And so therefore, it's not an interesting company for us to invest in on behalf of Oryx or even for yeah. me personally as an angel investor because we want big growth and high growth. Yeah. But perhaps they're so passionate about you know the solution. They're the best entrepreneur to be doing that job. They've dedicated their life to you know learning about this sector, the, this industry. Then I think that's also a really good recipe for success. So the how comes later, right? No one can tell you in one setting, this is how you do it. We can always help like, hey, listen, try to, you can, and, and that's what entrepreneurs should do. Instead of asking, is my idea good or bad? Launch, launch even if you think it's too early to launch, launch with, the, with whatever you can. It's not about how much resources you have, but how resourceful you can be. Yeah. Launch, go to market. Uh, with whatever capacity you can and see if people are willing to buy, willing to download, want to yep. engage, want to partner. Those are indicators. But throughout the way, you want a mentor to help hold your hand, to help give you that sage advice as well. So I think those culminating efforts is what helps people overcome the fear. And also, I would say fear is always going to be there. Just embrace it. Like embrace waking up and saying, you know, I'm really afraid that I built something that no one wants. It's okay to kind of allow yourself to feel that fear yeah. that then you're able to really see, okay, what can I do about it? Maybe I pivot, maybe I change this, maybe I continue, maybe I just, you know, keep trying harder and with time it's going to come and so forth. Right. So um, it's a process. It is a process and realizing too that that is part of being an entrepreneur and charting your own path is... I mean, throughout this stage of your business, you're going to be trying different things. And often you don't know what's going to work. Absolutely. And, you know, you make the best decision you can. <laughs> Sometimes you never really know. Um, and something that always helps me is when I'm, you know, um, having trouble moving forward. It's like, what's the next step? The one step that I can take towards this um putting this idea into action yeah. and just focus on that one step once i do that yeah. what's the next step do you have any advice for anyone or somebody fundraising or looking for mentors absolutely so when it comes to fundraising i notice that a lot of entrepreneurs don't give themselves enough time i often hear entrepreneurs say oh, i'm going to close my round in a month or three months which is extremely difficult you okay. should give yourself anywhere between nine months to a full year wow also, maybe you're raising more than you actually need. Really assess, right, why am I raising? I need this specific amount of money to get me to the next stage of the company. So if you don't need to be raising a million dollars, then don't. If $300,000, for example, yep. is sufficient for you to get to that next stage, then that's it. Raise less amount of money. One, it's easier to close, less amount of money. Two, you're diluting yourselves as the founders a lot less. So why sell more shares if you don't need to? Uh, three, always look for smart money, smart capital, which means you can find money anywhere. Mm -hmm. right? You can. There's plenty of money around. Yeah. But you really want to find, especially if it's your company, this is something you're dedicating the next 10 yeah. years of your life to. You want partners because investors are going to be your partners on the cap table with you in your company that you can trust, that you can 
go to it's not just the money it's the fact that they're door openers you can access their network you can go to them when you have problems they'll help you access new customers new partnerships you need people that you really want to add to your team you're really excited about so that's what i say look for smart money people who have money but can also offer all these other things as well so it's kind of a two-in-one for you that's all things fundraising that I can think of. Mm-hmm. On the mentorship front, obviously, if you find and attract the right investors, those people will also by nature be your mentors. If you're not ready to fundraise or you're just looking for mentors for the purpose of mentors, and this is outside of entrepreneurship, this could yep. be for a man or woman looking to, you know, uh, climb that corporate ladder, get that new job. They want to launch a podcast. Maybe a lot of people are you know, listening to this and thinking, oh, Maria should be my mentor. The best way, if I'm looking for a mentor, I would approach them is, well, I'm pretty relentless, so I'm just going to follow the advice that I give to myself. I'm not shy on LinkedIn. I connect with people all the time, new people that I want to learn from, that I want to have engaging conversations with. And I kind of just approach it from a curiosity point of view, where I say, wow, this person is really interesting. Uh, You know, let me message them on LinkedIn. If I see them at an event, let me say hi. Let me introduce myself. And then once we've broken that first degree of barrier, I'll be as open, and I used to do this a lot early days. Hey, would you be my mentor? What that would mean was, uh, what what that would mean is essentially I would ask you for an hour of your time once a month, very informally. It can even be a Zoom call. You know, turn on your camera, and I might want to pick your brain sometimes. Would that be something you'd be up for? I know you're really busy. And also understanding the boundaries of that person. Like this person has a full-time job, has a family, yeah. has their own hobbies, has all the other things that are happening in their life. So for them to accept you as a mentor, I would first and foremost formally ask, hey, would you, do you yeah. have time to be my mentor? Would you be interested is what I'm doing of interest, one. Two, do they have the time? And if they have the time, set it up for them in that, you know, you make it easy for yeah. them. You know, you don't, you, if I say, if I accept to be someone's mentor, and their expectation is every single time I WhatsApp you, you answer. Mm. I WhatsApped you two days ago. Why didn't you answer? I need another Zoom call this week. No, this person is not someone you're paying when they're your mentor. Their mentor is someone, you know, that you want to help you expand your mind to get to that next step. And it's someone you really look up to. So you have to respect their time is something that I would also say. Um, and then look for people who you want to be people that you look up to people that are industry experts in what you're looking to create and yeah. with time you'll find that you only you not only have one mentor you have a group of mentors maybe in other industries we call these people role models but the the difference is that these mentors will actually be engaging with you and they'll be your on ground really good word of mouth as well if they have these really great relationships that you've cultivated with them why would someone be a mentor why would they dedicate their time to so mentorship? Rewarding. Because it's so rewarding. You know, yeah, and I also learn. I learn new things. So, for example, I'm a mentor in a lot of different companies that are in different sectors, from biotech to water innovation to an AI company to a logistics company to an edu tech company to a, 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 a woman who has an amazing gym. All these different sectors. So every single time I sit down with them, and we discuss their business model, meaning how they make money as a company. Every single one of these companies makes money differently, their strategies yep. are differently, the way they do partnerships are differently, and it helps me expand and stay fresh, right? Yeah. And also learn from these people. I learn from them. When I sit with them, it's, it's two, it takes two to tango. 
I'm giving them my yeah. sage advice, but I'm also listening and I'm also learning and I'm also observing. And it's just incredibly rewarding. It's kind of like asking, why does one volunteer? Another thing is I think mentorship is the basis of so much of the success we see in the Saudi startup and entrepreneurship market. A lot of these companies that have great mentors, I go on to be an advisor. So I end up becoming like it just is a mm -hmm. natural progression. Well, I'll have, you know, a stake in the company, some part of the equity to then maybe more formalize the process. Um, but it's a really great way when you have these early stage mentors. It's an assessment for both people to see, do we like working together? Do we like having conversations? Do we add value to each other? Yeah. And mentorship is so great because even if those relationships don't continue and you don't formally continue being a mentor for the next year, years, et cetera, maybe it's only like a three, six month period, you are part of that person's success. I can't tell you how many people were my mentors early on that because of them, this is where I am today. And I would yeah. just contact people and, you know, friendly chats here and there. And I think it's really important for people who are the CEO of their companies, even if they're not naturally extroverted, to learn to be that person who's a connector, who's a people person, who's having the coffees, who's asking for advice, who's open-minded, who's open to constructive criticism. That network of cultivating those relationships also eventually pushes sales. So what does that message look like on LinkedIn? A lot of the times it's, hi, Maria, I came across your LinkedIn profile. This is what I do. And be very specific and short. Yeah. I do X, Y, Z. You know, I started a, an accelerator that focuses on X, Y, Z, or I run it for X, Y, Z. I noticed that you also do something. Like, there's yeah. a reason why you're reaching out to Maria. You guys yes. have something in common. Mention that thing in common. Yep. And then send a message. By the way, most times people won't reply, so that's okay. One out of ten times, they okay. will. A lot of times they won't. Okay. Um, that's fine. I'm also very relentless. Well, I'll look at who our friends in common are, and I'll see what, our, let's make up our friend in common. I'll call her Sarah. Yeah. I'll be like, Sarah, I've been meaning to really connect with Maria. I know she's really busy. She probably doesn't check her LinkedIn messages. Can you, you think you can connect us? Or maybe okay. if you have coffee with her next time, could I come and just introduce myself? They'd be really great. So a lot of that as well. And I often, just the other day, I was at the garage, which is yeah. a huge co-working space, the largest in the MENA region. And I go, and two different entrepreneurs came up to me, and they go, oh, you look really familiar. I think um, you have that company, Blossom. And I said, yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, have we met before? Because I meet so many people, I forget. <laughs> I'm like, have we met before? And they're like, no, but I follow you on LinkedIn. And I go, really? And they go, yeah. And they're like, I saw that you're into this and into that. Like they knew. Mm. And I was like, well, tell me what you do. What do you do? And then we started, you know, just, we just recently connected and that could turn into a mentorship, essentially a mentor. Yeah. Yeah. So it's things like that. You mentioned um, talking to, were they women or at the garage? Oh, that actually were men. Oh, the, the men that approached you at the garage. Yeah. Um, connecting with them. Any other um, suggestions on places to network or like interesting activities in Riyadh? So go to all the entrepreneurship and startup events. Come to LEAP 2024, which will be um, March 4 to 7th. I'll be there as a speaker across multiple stages as a judge on the startup competition. And I'll actively be working all four days as an investor at the Investor Lounge. So anyone wants to come to me and speak to me about potential avenues of investment, whether that's me personally investing in them in, as an angel 
or um, talking to them on behalf of Oryx, Hambro Perks, and looking to see if their company would be a good fit, uh, definitely come, come to LEAP. Can anyone attend? Anyone can attend LEAP. And what exactly is LEAP for Leap those who don't know? Oh, it makes me happy. Yeah? Leap, Leap is the largest tech conference, arguably in the world, just in terms of number of attendees and how large the conference is. And it's a culmination of you going to learn hear from speakers and workshops across various stages on you know different technology trends vc trends learning about all things startup methodology entrepreneurship investments connecting you're connecting with corporates you're connecting with government you're connecting with other startups you're connecting with angels you're connecting with vcs so it's just this melting pot of the entire ecosystem of the MENA region coming together and it's the largest tech event that's out of Saudi and one of the largest, if not the largest tech event in the world. Um, so it's an incredibly exceptional opportunity for entrepreneurs who are looking to fundraise, get customers, find mentors, all of it. And then I would say additionally, which I've already mentioned, we as Blossom have these monthly events and programs as under Blossom CSR, Corporate Social Responsibility, Everyone is invited, everyone is included, men, women, young, old, different sectors. I have an idea, I just started a company, I'm pushing revenue, I'm fundraising, I'm scaling. Everyone just curious. <laughs> I'm just curious. I'm just curious. I might wanna I might wanna change career paths, switch sectors, whatever. But essentially what we do is we offer opportunities to hear stories, have Q and A's, get mentorship, uh, really connect to other people, other entrepreneurs government entities as well across these various different programs as well. And if um, anyone tuning in just continues to follow uh, Blossom across social media, okay. you'll find the next event. And we have them sometimes even more than once a month. So in February, we're gonna have quite a few events as well. And that's gonna continue through Ramadan, after Ramadan, and so forth all throughout the year. So that's, I'm very excited about that kind of stuff just because I also get to meet new people through that and it's exciting for me. You went into neuroscience um, based on your journey um, with epilepsy. Yes. Can you tell us uh, what it was like growing up with epilepsy? Absolutely, so this is one of the things that's very near and dear to my heart and I'm also very open about. Ever since I could remember, I've had seizures and I can remember back to the age of four um, and I actively had seizures for nearly 20 years, so until I was 24 years old, of different types, um, but formally diagnosed at the age of nine, because when I was younger, like I would have maybe a seizure or two a year, and then it turned into 50 plus seizures a day from the age of nine to 24. And it was my first time experiencing feeling excluded. So I would go to school, I'd be very much teased, people didn't understand what it was. I would miss a lot of information in class, just try to take notes and just one minute I'm there, one minute I'm not. And when you have a seizure, it's when the electrical functions of the brain go haywired. So you lose a lot of your cognitive abilities to see, to hear, to speak, sometimes your motor skills to walk, such so as you'll often see some people fall on the floor and they actually convulse. so I would have some of those as well. But I'm so grateful um, for having them and growing up for them. It gave me my backbone. It's what makes me confident and outgoing. 
because I always thought these seizures were also my ultimate superpowers. They gave me this unique way to look at the world, this unique way to navigate it. It gave me a sense of self and a sense of purpose. It made me realize early on how valuable life is and how beautiful and how fragile and how we're all here for a limited amount of time. So I really want to do the thing that I want to do. I really want to, you know, I don't want to just passively be somewhere for 20 years and you know and then at the end of it I'm you know I get that works for a lot of people but I personally don't want to passively be somewhere for 20 30 years and then just get a retirement paycheck from it for me life is short and it's zestful and I want to hone it and also activate everything about me that potentially could be special or things that I could harness and put it to good use so I think that's the biggest blessing of growing up with a disability has been for me. And I'm not afraid of using the word disability. I don't think disability is a dirty word. It's a batch of honor I carry, and I'm very proudly an entrepreneur and venture capitalist with a disability. And it has tied into the mission of why Blossom is also uh, a tech inclusion accelerator, which, what, the, what does that mean? It means that I think some of the best startup teams in the world I think some of the best founders are not only diverse in nature, whatever that means for them, it could be gender, it could be background, it could be perspective, it could be major, it could be neurodiversity, however way they, they grew up, however you know yep. they identify, it could be ADHD, it could be on the bipolar spectrum, yep. whatever they define underneath the sun. But I do believe that people who are in touch with that sense of self that they have and teams, so different co-founders that come together from different backgrounds, right, who've experienced life differently, when they come together, I think those make for the best startup teams. Those mm -hmm. startup teams, in my opinion, are not only more innovative, they're not only able to solve problems, the world's most pressing problems, solve them, solving them innovatively, but also I believe that those companies are very interesting in terms of yielding a higher return of investment, and I'll tell you why. If I brought three people that come from exactly the same backgrounds, three girls like myself who grew up with epilepsy that are from Saudi, what new perspectives and way of thinking are they bringing to the table? Often not that much difference. And so I think our accumulation of different experiences is how we're going to be able to be innovative, to solve problems creatively, and also we're at a time in the world where there's plenty of things that need to be solved in new creative matters, and that's what we need, the power of these people and their uh, differences brought together to take that on. So that's why I always say inclusivity not only yields more innovation, but also more investment and economic return. That's like probably my thesis of life. If I had a TED Talk, it would be why Would you have? <laughs> I have a TEDx. If TEDx, I had like oh, a okay. TED, TED, like out of San Francisco, it would be on things, all, all things inclusion. And I think I'm the walking, you know, testimony for it. And it also helped me just be more empathetic to yeah. the world around me and connect with people and be curious and, you know, and humble me in that I am wildly imperfect. And that's okay. I used to struggle and I still do with being a perfectionist. Um, and I think there's so much beauty to just showing up as you are. Yeah. I think, you know, some of us, as we get older and just, you know, thinking about our lives and how our early experiences have shaped us and also, but as a kid, like the last thing you want is to be different. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, when you were young and dealing with this, like, 
how, how, what helped you get through it? Well, it was really hard. It was gruesome. I was bullied a lot in school just because, you know, other kids didn't get it, right? They just didn't understand. They weren't trying to be evil. It just, they yeah. didn't mean to. It just, you know, it was weird. It was for sure. Let's just call the elephant in the room. It was weird. Yeah. Okay. And um, I grew up feeling, gosh, why me? Of all the other kids in the world, why do I have to have this? Yep. And there was no medication that would really control my seizures, maybe help them a little, but not really control them. And so I always had them. And one day I said, you know what? What if I just embrace it? You know, what if I also write down, I had like this little notebook I would carry around with me in school. I'm going to write down all the reasons I have seizures. And I swear to you, I saw this notebook today. This was like one-on-one manifestation as a kid without being taught manifestation, but it was my coping mechanism. So I would write in this notebook, okay, come on, let's pretend, what are all the different reasons? And I'd say, okay, I have seizures because one day I'm gonna talk about it with other people and make a difference. I have seizures maybe because one day I'll start like a company around it. I have seizures because one day I'll write a book about it or I'll share my story, or I don't know, maybe I'll be on like a cover of a magazine. And, I'll, and, I'll ta- and then I won't feel so alone in the world because I'll be connected to all these other people who probably feel the same way, but no one else is talking about it. And I just really believed in that. I just really believed in that. I would interview myself in front of the mirror. You know, I would like paint this picture of what my life was going to be. And that's, I don't think any of that. I would have never been that kid if I wouldn't have had epilepsy and seizures every single day, day in, day out talking to people through college, after college, during interviews. I've had a seizure surfing. I've had a seizure snorkeling. I've had a seizure rock climbing. It's just like through and through. Thank God I still don't drive. (laughs) Thank God for everyone's safety, including my own. But um, I probably wouldn't have been as introspective and full of life. So that's the how, and it's difficult. It's not like, well, here you go. One plus one equals two. Just go ahead and journal and all your problems will be solved. It is a journey and you have, I have my days where I'm feeling great. And I have my other days where I'm like, ugh. Today's gonna be a difficult one. Yeah. But that's okay. We don't have good days every day, but we're strong people and we still make the best of it. And we need the bad days to appreciate the good ones. Exactly. Were, were you in therapy when you were young? Like what, um, no. d- did your parents like encourage you? And where did you get this idea to journal? Um, I've always loved writing and my parents never gave me any shortage of their love and attention. So anytime I would journal, I would also turn them into mini poems and I would recite them for my parents about like feeling lonely or left out or bullied or picked on and and they would like they'd be like let's see let's hear your performance Iman like let's go we're all ears and I'd be like okay like it would make me feel important for sure and validated and heard and felt and seen and they would tell me they would also tell me that there's some bigger reason and all the things I have to look forward to they never made me feel bad like oh our poor daughter who they'd be like our daughter's amazing are you kidding like they literally would tell me that like almost like they were my Tony Robbins they would be like our our kid's amazing she's so smart and intelligent and 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 also beautiful and she is now going to school bestowing wisdom on her teachers and on her classmates and she's helping her classmates you know understand their world better by her being part of that classroom and so what a gift 
And I'd be like, yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> you're right. What a gift. I mean, you could go to, and maybe perhaps, I mean, again, I'm not a parent myself, so I could see how potentially for some people that go to a different direction where like the kid is like, you know, turns out to be crazy and like is too full of themselves or whatever. But I think for me, it's what, what I really needed because like I was bullied a lot and it really just helped me connect to myself. And, and, then, and then everything turned out okay, I will tell you. When you're okay with yourself, other people are okay with you. So I remember growing up having birthday parties and all my friends would come like, yeah, and they, we would have incidents at school where they would bully me, but then they'd come over and we'd have such a great time. And we used to like lip sync together to like Britney Spears and you know, we'd really bond. And I really believe if you're okay with it, if you're on a fundamental level, happy with who you are, you're completely accepting, mm -hmm. you don't really need other people's validation. I learned that really early on in life. Do you have any advice for parents of children with disabilities? Uh, yes, namely because again, I, I really do believe I'm the best parents. It's a combo of really embracing your child for who they are and how they are, you know, and really looking at it as a blessing, not like, oh, whoa, me, my poor kid, mm -hmm. but you also wanna help them access the best of the best doctors yeah. and the best of the best you know hospitals and research and and look at all the different ways you can you help them cope but i would say and i've seen this amongst other parents where they make their kid feel bad about themselves like in the pursuit of them taking their kid to the best doctor or finding yeah. the best therapist and kids are really smart so if you're a mom sitting there like crying about it and like, oh, whoa, me, you're on the phone. If the kid hears you like telling a, you know, a friend of hers or complaining to, you know, whoever about how they're so sad that their kid, their poor kid, oh, whoa, me, oh, whoa, her, oh, whoa, the kid, you know, for having this, you're really demolishing that person's mm. self-worth and self-esteem and overall confidence and I think the best thing parents can do is just love the freaking daylight, every molecule of that child and like fully accept them, not because, well, I'm gonna accept you even though I think you're not perfect. No, you really, like it's, it's on every parent to do their own healing, to really come to a place for them to understand, not to control your kid or try to mold them into something that they're not. So this even goes beyond having a child with perhaps a special need. If your child doesn't want to grow up to be a doctor, don't force the kid to become a doctor. Mm -hmm. He or she might become a miserable doctor. You, they'll become a doctor, maybe a miserable one, and then they'll be unhappy, and then they'll get you know back aches earlier in life and pain earlier in life and all this other stuff. So I would just say really nurture them and then let them be whatever they want to be. Maybe they'll be the world's best, you know, like tennis player. Who knows, you wanted them to be a doctor, but like find your own life and heal so you don't have to vicariously live through them. What has helped you the most in your own entrepreneurial journey? It's a big one. I think really being committed to the vision, listening to the market, surrounding myself with the ultimate support system beyond my family, the mentors that I choose, the people 
I choose to spend my time with and befriend, all of it makes all the impact and all the difference. And being tenacious and essentially never taking no for an answer. I mean, I think I'm known famously for when people tell me no, I just say no to their no. And not in the capacity to be stubborn, but to just really with vigor go after what I want. If that's what I really believe is right for me, I'm being very open to pivots and agility and perhaps changing the way or perhaps changing the outcome. I mean, we've changed our business model at Blossom in many, many different times throughout the years. Um, So I'm always open to learning and growing but whilst remaining extremely focused and committed. I think that culmination. All right, Iman, we have some rapid fire questions. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Best purchase you've made in the past year? My personal fitness coach. Favorite items to gift? Um, Well, for this one, I'll say I don't have a standard because I gift according to the person not according to what I like. I analyze every person and what's unique about them and I really think hard about what to give them. So no standard, but uh, if it's Ramadan, dates from Batil. What helps you get through a hard day? Lately, walking, just going for a walk to clear my mind. Health hack. There is no health hack, is the answer. (laughs) Get enough sleep, eat your fruits and veggies, exercise for at least 30 minutes a day, whatever that means for you. Take care of your mental health. Don't surround yourself with people that are toxic or negative or that come down down on you or criticize you all the time. Be around people that are positive, who want to conquer the world, who root for you, who speak very good of you when you're not in the room don't engage in gossip not like if you're with friends that are constantly gossiping about others you best believe they're gossiping about you too so just really clean who clean out who your inner circle are and take care of yourself and prioritize yourself so your cup can be full and so thereon you can give to others Aman, what are you looking forward to in the coming year This coming year, I'm looking forward to further expanding and expansion of the company into new markets and impacting and empowering and uplifting more entrepreneurs. I look forward to personally growing in many capacities. I always keep learning. So there's a lot of new um, courses that I'm going to be taking and new books I'm going to be reading, um, more podcasts I want to be listening to and really centering myself more and really mastering emotional agility and not allowing for outside forces to shake me from within. How can everyone follow you in your journey? Well, you could follow me personally, Iman Shakur. I'm most active on LinkedIn and Instagram and um, try to answer anyone who messages me as much as I can. If I miss the first message, feel free to send me another one. And then for my company, you can follow Blossom Excel. So just the word Blossom and then Excel is A-C-C-E-L across all platforms. And I hope to meet you in person to anyone listening at our next Blossom CSR event. Um, So keep staying tuned and I would be honored to meet anyone and answer any questions I can in person. Amazing.
Thank you, Aman. Thank you so much, Maria.